this big, big box. I'm just like, why is that box so big when we all know the medicine's really, really small? Anything else in the allergy world, there's just not a linear line or answer for this type of a question. I feel like I'm on The Bachelor to get the clarity that you need to make decisions. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new here, the Oh My Allergies podcast is a podcast about all things allergies. Whether you have food allergies, seasonal allergies, skin allergies, or even your pet has allergies, Oh My Allergies is a safe space for discussions for those that need a bit of advice and support from someone who understands their struggle. Let's learn how to navigate life and learn how to thrive with our allergies together. Hey guys, what's up? Oh my allergies fam. Welcome to or welcome back to the podcast. Happy Tuesday guys. If you are listening to this on a Tuesday because we put out our episodes on Tuesdays, but I am so excited about today's episode. Today's episode is all about something that you've most likely have heard of and have used when it comes to treating and managing your allergy symptoms, and that's antihistamines. If you've ever wanted to learn more about antihistamines, like what they are, you know, how they affect our bodies when it comes to allergies, then this episode is for you. But before we get into today's topic, I want to tell you guys, if you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, just any platform that you can listen to your podcast on. Stop, drop, roll, and rate the podcast. Hopefully your rating is five stars. Make sure you leave the show a review because it helps with being able to grow our community and reach new peeps. And follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at ohmyallergies. You can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is at ohmyvalencia. And just keep on sharing the podcast with people you know or don't know. And let's get right into the what's been going on update. So much has happened to me as of late, guys. Like, it's just not even funny. I feel like the catchphrase for what's been going on with me lately is if it's not one thing, it's another. Like, for example, I went from having a puppy to not having a puppy, which honestly could have its own storyline and chronicling of like what happened. And I currently already have a dog. And so the idea was to be able to provide some sort of a companion for my current dog. And that just does not pan out the way that I thought it was going to. I thought they were going to be the best of buddies. And that that whole process of like introducing the two to each other and like trying to see if their personalities were gonna like line up with each other and it was just a mess and unfortunately ended up having to give the dog back and like having to go through like a whole like rehoming situation unfortunately so that took up a lot of my time you know physically emotionally because of how it was affecting my current dog because my current dog deals with her own set of issues like dealing with like anxiety and things like that so it was just a mess of a situation unfortunately and then on top of that I've been dealing with like 
nine to five things and I've been dealing with personal things with my family and it's honestly just been a lot that I just needed to take a step back and be able to just like breathe from you know everything and so unfortunately that included me having to take a step back and a pause from the podcast because dealing with all of this stuff I was not able to get my creative juices flowing from the standpoint of being able to come up with content ideas and really be like fully invested and into it and in that mindset so that's why you guys have not seen or heard from the podcast in a bit but honestly with the past like weekend like this long weekend because I'm recording this before uh, Labor Day weekend so I'm really thankful for this long weekend I'm so happy I want to be able to catch up on like some reading some TV get back to the drawing board for content ideas for the podcast like there's so many things that I want to do but it's things that I genuinely enjoy doing so that is what I'm really hoping for for this weekend like I'm just so excited for it just to be able to just chillax and relax and just honestly enjoy my own company and have a good time just being you know serene in that way and just do some meditations and you know just have like a self-care type of weekend for myself and also mixture with some working for the podcast but in terms of what I've been doing lately I've been watching Love Island USA and that recently wrapped up to be honest I'm only happy with one of the two winners of this season I'm just gonna say it I am not a fan of Marco like the rest of Twitter or should I say X that I don't think me saying X is ever gonna flow out right so I will just call it Twitter still I feel like I'm one of the small select few that still call it Twitter um, I've been keeping up with the news um, implementing meditation back into my night routine and just really trying to soak up what's left of summer also some other things that I've watched recently I came across this show on Netflix called The Diplomat I don't know if I talked about it here on the podcast before I know I've been talking to people like whether in my personal life about the show and like how good it is it only has one season currently on Netflix and I finished that like a week or two ago and I'm so mad with the cliffhanger that they left us with at the end of the season like I am high key irritated um and I hate when shows do that and it's like oh my goodness like is season two ready to go like is it coming out this fall we have no idea the same thing happened for the night agent another show that I really like on Netflix it kind of just ended with a cliffhanger and I'm like okay like what's gonna happen when is this new season gonna be coming out no you don't have any of that information okay I guess I'm forced to wait but in the meantime, while I'm waiting, I'm excited that The Morning Show is supposed to be coming back on Apple TV. And that's one of my favorite shows. I just hate that it takes like three years for a new season to come out. So I hope that this season is very well worth the wait. Um, another show that I watched was The Summer I Turned Pretty. Um, that's another show that left me being very irritated and annoyed. Honestly, I'm just team leave the brothers alone belly like that's honestly how I felt throughout watching like all of the seasons to get like caught up in everything. But um, but yeah, that's pretty much what's been going on with me, what I've been watching, what I've been doing and um, a little synopsis to bring you all a little bit up to speed about what's been going on with me. But um, with that being said, let's get right into my foodie likes. So 
the first foodie lick I want to talk to you guys about, it's actually related to coffee. It's the Starbucks decaf veranda blend ground coffee. As you guys know, I have been in my making cold brew at home era. And so I recently was gifted this Starbucks decaf veranda blend ground coffee. And so I've been using that in combination with the Trader Joe's decaf medium roast ground coffee that they have for sale there and just mixing the two. And guys, it's actually been a vibe. It's been a vibe. It tastes really good. I was kind of hesitant because of the veranda blend being a lighter roast coffee. And I have not had light roast coffee in like years like it's probably been like well over like maybe 10 years or so yeah like it's it's been a while since I've had light roast coffee that used to be when I first started drinking coffee like that was the coffee that I gravitated towards like the coffee that doesn't taste like coffee but like now I love the coffee that like tastes like coffee to the point where it's like really dark and it's a bold flavor and it's rich and to the point where some people are like, oh my goodness, like that's like too dark of a roast for me. Like I love a dark roast coffee. I love a big, bold cup of coffee. So I was kind of like, eh, not really sure. But mixing the two was a vibe and it tastes really good. So I highly recommend trying mixing both of them. Now, the second foodie like I want to talk to you guys about has been one of my go-to lunch options lately that I've been making for myself. And it's like this dairy-free cheese quesadilla. I have not ever been a fan of the cheese quesadilla, like ever, like even growing up when I would go to local Mexican restaurants or anything like that, I was not really a quesadilla person. I was more of like a burrito, burrito bowl salad or a salad, Mexican salad type of person. Like those are the types of things I would get when going out to eat. So the fact that I am making a cheese quesadilla is kind of laughable for me, but I have been using this dairy-free cheese um, that I get. It kind of depends. Sometimes I get it from Whole Foods. I use like Veo Life or sometimes I use the, um, I don't remember the brand of it, but I get it from Aldi's. Um, I use their dairy-free cheese and then the Tortillas that I use for it are tortillas I've talked about on the podcast before. It's the Maria and Ricardo's Whole Wheat Plus tortillas that are made with avocado oil. Really love them. They taste so good. It's honestly just a really good pair up. I really like when I use the cheese from Aldi's. It melts actually surprisingly well for a quesadilla. Like it, I was unsure how it was going to melt because I've used this type of cheese when I make like dishes like macaroni and cheese and things like that and like it melts okay but like quesadilla wise I was like is it going to taste like I'm eating like individual pieces of like shredded cheese like is it going to melt well you know what I'm saying and it actually does so highly recommend trying making dairy-free cheese quesadillas but those are my foodie likes that I've really been liking lately so I can talk to you guys now about this week's allergy news article. So this article is titled Childhood Allergies from Skin to Lungs Could Start in the Gut Study and it comes from thehills.com. So a new study has found that problems with gut bacteria could lie behind four major and very different childhood medical conditions and allergies, which are eczema, hay fever, which is also known as seasonal allergies, 
asthma, and food allergies. So with these conditions becoming more and more common, researchers have blamed everything from shifting diets to overemphasizing hygiene, which we've discussed on the podcast before, which kind of links to this whole uh, hygiene hypothesis of where now the environments of today in comparison to like the Stone Age and years and years and years and decades and centuries past that we live more so in cleaner environments. Therefore, our immune systems have not really been like exposed to different germs and other different substances in order to develop healthy, strong immune systems. And we talk about this more in our episode around like what is an allergy. So if you are like, what is the hygiene hypothesis? I'm so confused. Definitely check out that episode. We'll have it linked in our show notes. In relation to this allergy news article, um, they talk about how a study was published in Nature Communications and how Canadian researchers suggested another possible cause being disorders in the communities of tiny organisms that live within the human gut. And so the research team, uh, they ended up following more than a thousand Canadian children from birth to around age five, about half of whom were diagnosed with one of the four uh, medical conditions and allergies. So again, those are eczema, hay fever, which is seasonal allergies, asthma, and food allergies. And so the researchers found that each condition correlated with a characteristic bacterial footprint that signified both a compromised gut lining as well as there being heightened inflammation found in the gut and so that indicates a breakdown according to the article in the ecosystem of bacteria fungi archaea and the intestines and so um, a quote from the article says typically our bodies tolerate the millions of bacteria living in our guts because they do so many good things for our health and That's what we're told. We're told that there's so much good bacteria within our gut to be able to help with processing certain foods and just for our overall health. But um, researchers for this particular study found that, you know, there is good in there being boundaries between our intestinal bacteria and our immune cells in order to make sure that our body is keeping things healthy because then when those two things come together then that idea is that that's where inflammation starts to fester and starts to become more prevalent within the body and that is what's connected to allergies allergies is pretty much um, coming from inflammation in a way. And so I just found this allergy news article to just be very, very interesting and really good that a lot more research is being done into not only allergies, but, you know, pediatric allergies and really trying to get a better understanding of what is some linked conditions to allergies and really trying to get a better understanding of like what is the root of allergies because at least from my research it's kind of unclear there's a lot of different uh, potential contenders but it's not really like fully solidified set in stone like oh this is how an allergy gets started this is how it starts to become you know less severe severe what have you so if you guys want to check out this allergy news article like always we'll have it linked in our show notes so you can look at the article in its full entirety because it goes further further into the study and breaks it down even more than I just did so definitely check out the article it'll be linked in our show notes but with that being said let's get right into today's topic which is all about what is an antihistamine like I say in these types of episodes I'm not a doctor 
Um, I'm not a medical professional, nor do I claim to be either of those things. These are just things that I know from personal experience and research that I've done. And I encourage you all to do research on your own as well. Now, I know a lot of us utilize antihistamines, but have you ever wondered like what they actually are and like what they actually do and like the impact that they have on your body? Well, if you have, then buckle up because that's what we are going to be getting into in today's episode. I wanted to cover this topic because I feel like it's a word that gets tossed around and some may not really know like what antihistamines like actually are. Of course they help with like your allergy symptoms, but like how? How do they do that? So that's what I'm gonna explain and try to explain. But before I get into antihistamines, let's take away the anti and antihistamines and talk a little about the allergic reaction process that can lead one to consider antihistamines as part of their allergy treatment program. So let's say you're outside in a flower field doing summery things, and while it's still summery weather, you don't realize that you're exposing yourself to, let's say, ragweed pollen because around this time of year ragweed pollen is a little bit more prevalent so for some people that's not a big deal it's like okay pollen can be there I can be there too it's cool doesn't affect me and for some people your body interprets the ragweed pollen as being a harmful substance which is also known as an allergen and then the allergen triggers an allergic reaction due to a chemical called histamine being released. So now you're probably like, okay, thanks for breaking down the process of an allergic reaction, but like where do antihistamines enter the conversation? So now I'm gonna talk about what are antihistamines. So antihistamines, they are a class of drugs that are primarily used to relieve allergies. Antihistamines, they do this by blocking that histamine chemical that I just talked about that is released by the immune system whenever your body is confronted by an allergy causing substance also known as an allergen, like I just said. And if you want to learn more about like what histamine is, then definitely check out our episode called What is Histamine Intolerance? In that episode, I break down what histamine is, how histamine can affect those with food allergies and those with seasonal allergies and just like so much more. So definitely listen to that episode. We'll have that episode linked in our show notes. But when histamine is prevented from attaching to the cellular receptors in the skin and in the mucous membranes of like your eyes, your nose, and your respiratory tract due to antihistamines, your allergy symptoms, so I'm talking about the sneezing, the itchy eyes, post-nasal drip, hives, that can temporarily be relieved. So speaking of allergy symptoms, what symptoms do antihistamines typically treat? So people can use antihistamines to treat allergic rhinitis, which we have an episode all on the difference between allergic rhinitis and allergic sinusitis. So definitely check out that episode to learn more about allergic rhinitis. But to put it simply, allergic rhinitis causes inflammation in the nose. And so antihistamines, they can help with alleviating a wide range of symptoms. They can help with if you're dealing with congestion, if you're sneezing a lot, if you have a runny nose, if you have itchy eyes, if you have watery eyes, if your skin is just itching to the point where you just wanna scratch your skin off, if you are dealing with skin rashes, if you are dealing with hives, or if you're feeling nauseous. 
So one thing when it comes to antihistamines that I think people don't really realize is that there are different types of antihistamines. Like I think when, at least for me, when I go into a pharmacy or a pharmacy section of a grocery store or a place like that, then I tend to just look at all the antihistamines and I'm like, oh, you know, like this antihistamine is probably very similar to this antihistamine where there's like so many different types. And so that's what I'm going to break down. So the first type is first generation. So first generation antihistamines became available for general use in 1942 and are still used till this day. These antihistamines work by affecting the histamine receptors in your brain and your spinal cord. And one of their defining characteristics, though, is that they go through the blood-brain barrier and can cause sleepiness as they affect the H1 receptors in your central nervous system. So H1 receptor, that stands for histamine 1 receptor. And pretty much what that means is that H1 receptor, it's a receptor for histamine on cell membranes that modulates the dilation of blood vessels as well as the contraction of muscles within your body. And so in general, H1 receptors are typically involved in the quote defensive actions of histamine and really contribute to immune regulation as well as acute and chronic allergic inflammation. We actually have an episode all about allergic inflammation so we'll have that linked in our show notes so you all can learn more about inflammation and its role within allergies but that's just kind of a basis of like what I'm talking about histamine 1 or H1 receptors that's pretty much what I'm talking about and then there's also a counterpart to that which is H2 receptors. And so an H2 receptor which is histamine 2 receptor That's a receptor for histamine on cell membranes that modulate the stimulation of your heart rate as well as the secretion of gastric acid, so acid reflux, things like that. H1 receptors in the central nervous system help with regulating your body's sleep-wake cycle. And so by binding the receptors in the central nervous system, first-generation antihistamines can mess with cognitive and motor functions and can cause drowsiness. So if you've ever taken certain types of allergy medicine, depending on what that allergy medicine was, this could potentially be the reason, the scientific reason as to why you are experiencing sleepiness, drowsiness, all of the things. So other side effects that are typically associated with first generation antihistamines are poor sleep quality, dry mouth, dry eyes, feeling dizzy, low blood pressure, blurry vision, headaches, if your mucus is getting thickened, and acute liver damage. Also increased heart rate, constipation, and having problems with urinating. And so some examples of first generation antihistamines can include Dramamine, Benadryl, Vicks NyQuil, Tylenol cold, different medicines like that. Those are probably some that are like ringing a bell. You're like, oh, like I take those or oh, like I've seen that in the grocery store. So those are like some examples of first generation antihistamines. And these types of antihistamines can start to take effect in about 30 to 60 minutes and typically last for four to six hours. So that's first generation antihistamines. 
So then there's second and third generation antihistamines. And so second generation antihistamines were first developed in the 1980s and they cause less sleepiness than first generation antihistamines and also interact with fewer medications. And according to an article in this particular journal titled the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases, second generation and third generation antihistamines, they are less likely to cross that blood brain barrier so they don't have as much of an effect on your central nervous system as like those first generation antihistamines. Examples of second and third generation antihistamines are like the Zyrtex, the Clarinex, the Allegra, Claritin. Those are examples of second and third generation antihistamines. I know from experience of being a person that used to take Benadryl and then now being a person that takes Allegra, also known as fexafenidine, um, that's like the generic name for Allegra is fexafenidine. Um, I realized that, you know, I might not feel as drowsy when taking Allegra, even though like taking Benadryl, I've heard people say that Benadryl literally makes them want to take like a big power nap, but I've never had Benadryl affect me that much to where I want to like fall asleep or like I can just take a nap right then and there um, but I know it affects some people so then that's kind of where the second and third generation antihistamines come into play and also one thing with second generation and third generation antihistamines is that you can take those orally nasally or even through an eyedropper and those typically last for up to 24 hours which if you have looked at the instructions for Allegra and Zyrtec and Claritin those types of medicines tend to last up to 24 hours I've seen some that last up to 12 hours but they last a lot longer than that four to six hours that typically applies to those first generation antihistamines they also for the second and third generation antihistamines they're able to reduce the inflammation caused by allergies and are favored both because they have fewer side effects and they can be more effective in treating allergy symptoms based on the research that I did so some side effects of the second and third generation antihistamines are headaches, coughs, fatigue, dealing with a sore throat, experiencing stomach pain, nausea, and vomiting. Those are just some of the side effects of the second and third generation antihistamines. So now that I've talked about the different types, which if you are new to this deep dive of antihistamines, you're like, whoa didn't even realize there were types. I just thought antihistamine was antihistamine and it kind of is, but like to better understand the medicine that you're taking, it's good to know that there's different types and like what those types are supposed to do so that you're like, oh, so like that's why I tend to feel like that because that's goes with that first generation antihistamine or oh, that goes along with the effects of the second and third generation antihistamine. So it might start to click a little bit better for you. At least it did for me when I did this deep dive research. I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. So now that we've talked about the different types in that regard for the types of antihistamines, now we're gonna break it down even more and talk about over-the-counter versus prescription antihistamines. So when it comes to antihistamines, you can purchase them over-the-counter like at your local pharmacy or in the pharmacy and health section of your local grocery store like a Target, Kroger, Publix, Ralph's, Vons, what have you. Or you can get a prescription for an antihistamine or antihistamines from your doctor and then go to pick it up 
those places. So when you're purchasing over-the-counter antihistamines, you typically have the option to get them in a lot of different forms. So whether it's tablets, gel capsules, nasal sprays, or even eye drops. And so some examples of over-the-counter antihistamines are, you know, Benadryl, Claritin, Allegra, Zyrtex. Those are some examples that you will commonly find when looking for over-the-counter antihistamines. But make sure you speak with a doctor if you need help deciding which type of antihistamine is right for you because each antihistamine helps with different types of symptoms. So for example, Zyrtec is found to be more potent or like stronger in comparison to Claritin in lab studies based on my research. And so Zyrtec also reaches a higher concentration in the skin and that's important because it can be more helpful for skin related allergies but then like one thing to think about for Zyrtec is that apparently it has a higher chance of making you feel sleepy when taking it so there's definitely some things to take into consideration when working with your doctor to pick the best medication for you or for your child or for your family so when it comes to prescription antihistamines, some types of antihistamines, they are just only available by prescription from a licensed healthcare professional. And some antihistamines that require prescriptions, they could contain higher concentrations of active ingredients in comparison to over-the-counter antihistamines, while other antihistamines may only be prescription only because of the risk of adverse side effects. So some examples of antihistamines that could require a prescription include azelastine, which is what I use for my eye allergies. I use it in the form of an eyedropper. It comes in the form of like pills and tablets as well. Um, another example is Clarinex. Another one is Zizel. Is, is I think that's how you pronounce it. Zizel. I've seen so many commercials for it. It's like this big, big box. I'm just like, why is that box so big when we all know the medicine's really, really small? Another one is Atarax, uh, Visteril. So those are some examples of antihistamines that require a prescription. So now you're probably thinking, okay, this is really great information. I have a better understanding of like what antihistamines actually are you know, what types of symptoms they're supposed to help with relieving, you know, what are the different types of antihistamines, you know, the difference between getting an over-the-counter antihistamine versus getting one prescribed by your doctor, you know, what does that mean? Um, Now you're probably like, okay, what type of antihistamine should I take given all of this information? And It really just depends. I know that's not the answer anyone wants to hear when they want a clear answer, but like anything else in the allergy world, there's just not a linear line or answer for this type of a question. There are just so many different kinds of antihistamines to take, most of which can be prescribed or bought over the counter. Now, if your allergy symptoms tend to be more so on the less severe side of the spectrum, then over-the-counter antihistamines could possibly do the trick for you. But if you have more severe allergies, then you may need prescription antihistamines. Make sure you just work with a doctor or a pharmacist to be able to get their guidance on like which way you should be leaning towards. I know when I explained my symptoms to my eye doctor, I was able to learn that I deal with a severe version of eye allergies and therefore was prescribed allergy medication through like a prescription. 
to be able to help with that. And so when I went to my primary care doctor, uh, this is another example, I had to express my symptoms and what I was feeling and was ended up prescribed antihistamines that could not be purchased over the counter just because of how severe my symptoms are. So it really just depends. And you really only know what side of the spectrum you're on when you consult with a healthcare professional in order to get that clarity. I feel like I'm on the back alert to get the clarity that you need to make decisions. But like whether you end up getting prescription antihistamines or over-the-counter antihistamines, just make sure that you read all of the ingredients very carefully and make sure that you follow the directions on the label. I have talked about my example of me not following the directions on the label. It was particularly for allergy medicine. I took an allergy pill not at the right time. It's an allergy pill that you're supposed to take at night. I took it during the day. Did not realize that one of the side effects was drowsiness. I literally was falling asleep in the middle of the day. And I was just like, I don't understand why I'm so tired. And that's because that was a side effect. And that's also because I did not read the label. So please, people, read the label. Follow the directions on the label. If it tells you to take it at night, if you miss taking it at night, then don't take it during the day because then you might pay for it later on in the day. Another thing to know is to always ask if the -the over-the-counter or the prescription antihistamine will interfere with or it cannot mix with anything that you're currently taking. So whether that's other medication or even supplements, I found out that a supplement that I was taking would interfere with the new medication. So I had to contact my doctor and speak with them about that. So just make sure that you're not mixing anything or like any over-the-counter products without consulting your doctor or talking with a pharmacist just to be on the safe side. But I hope what you learned from this episode is that make sure that you're always in constant conversations with your doctor, with your allergist, with the pharmacist in order to get those questions that you have answered to be able to better understand what types of antihistamines may work better for you and your body. Because just because Allegra or Fexafinidine works for me doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. And so you kind of have to go on that planning, discovery on your own with the guidance of your doctor to kind of know like is fexofenadine going to work for me or is generic benadryl going to work better for me or is generic claritin going to work for me so you kind of just have to have those conversations go through the appropriate testing if needed in order to better understand what's going to help you and your allergy symptoms. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, found it to be very informational, found it to be very helpful. I know I did. I enjoyed being able to share what I've learned from my own personal research around antihistamines. Like always in these types of episodes, I always recommend talking with your doctor before you go and make quick, fast, and a hurry decisions when it comes to your health and your treatment plan for your allergies. So make sure you do that. These types of episodes are definitely more so for your information. It's not medical advice 
it's not telling you what you should do. It's just being able to make this information more accessible in an easy to digest type of way. But if you guys enjoyed this episode, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much any platform that you can listen to your favorite podcast on. Make sure you stop, drop, roll, and rate the podcast. Hopefully your rating is five stars. Make sure you leave the show a review. It really helps with being able to grow our community. Follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is at ohmyallergies. My Instagram is at ohmyvalencia. Keep on sharing the podcast with people you know or don't know, and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys.